0: is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part one with Shoshana Bean, we talk about her accomplishments and lessons learned and so much more. I really hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Shoshana Bean. So enjoy and keep on keeping on. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe and today with me on Zoom is Shoshana Bean. Shoshana, thank you for joining me today.
1: A pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited to talk to you about your life and career up to this point and what the future holds for you. Um, This is a very exciting conversation I've been looking forward to. I want to just right away take it back to the beginning of time for Shoshana. What were your entertainment dreams (laughs) growing up?
1: Oh, gosh. I feel like they were grand and at once like a a very solid knowledge that they were unattainable. So I think I wanted to be Whitney Houston. I wanted to be Mariah Carey. Like, I think those were, I wanted to be Barbara Streisand. Like those were, you know, when I played pretend, uh, you know, I was a secretary, I was a teacher, I was a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and I was the stars, you know, those were the sort of like, uh, sort of returning imagination games. But, um, yeah, but at the same time, when the time came to like make the decision to continue to pursue, I think I was like, "That's not a real thing." Like, not every people don't just get to decide to do that. But um, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, those were the original goals.
0: What now? I know the internet is sometimes a fantastic place and often mistaken. So please correct me if I say something not factually true. What <laughs> show? What show were you a part of at the Capital Kids Summer Camp that inspired you to really okay. do this?
1: Um, gosh, I don't know that, like, I think Capital Kids, it was like a review, like, they would make these reviews of, like, you know, musical theater music, pop songs, vaudeville music, like, it was just a review, and I think, more than anything, that was the relationships for me. It was less about the performing and more about the relationships. Um, I think I was quite shy back then, so I don't know that I was, like, taking the opportunity to, like, really shine. Um, I don't think it was really until we left Olympia and everything was just fun at that point. Everything was really fun. And I think the beginning of learning, like you're not the only star in the room. In fact, I wasn't a star at all. I was at my house on my mantle place. I was the star. But once I started participating with other children and and always being put in the ensemble, I started to realize like something's off here. Something's not working. Um, And then when we moved to Portland, Uh, it was a professional production of Sunday in the park with George, where I think everything really shifted
0: for me. Why, why that show? Uh, because
1: I was the single only child in the show. So for me that translated to, I'm the star of this show, (laughs) right? I'm in like three scenes and I have like two solo lines, but to me, uh, that meant I was the star. Um, because I think it was a really pivotal moment in my life. It was the moment my parents got divorced. We moved to an entirely different city. To me, it was a big city. I was away from all my friends and family. Um, and I think it was when theater became cathartic for me. It became therapeutic. It became a choice and a lifeline. And it was professional, of course. So all of a sudden, the stakes were higher, and I took it myself and the the production very seriously and I met people who would then be a part of my journey my voice teacher I met doing that production Pam Myers I met but doing that production who was one of the first graduates of the musical theater program at CCM which is where Mm -hmm. I ended up going to school so it was all very much weird sort of foundational like looking back it just sort of like laid the tracks and um yeah that was a turning point I think.
0: What were your, because we're going to, I know we're covering, we're going to cover performing in theater, but I also want to cover the songwriting too. What were your early inspirations of singers and songwriters?
1: Whitney, Michael. I don't think I paid attention to songwriting so much um, until probably like, I mean, I think it, I was always paying attention to the lyric and how it would make me feel, how the story that was being told would affect me, but I wasn't breaking down songwriting, honestly, probably until I got into John Mayer, which was like 2009, I think. Mm. Um, and then I was really listening for the craft of songwriting for the first time, truly. Mm. Um, and then I would dig back through my other inspirations and be like, oh, that's why this was so moving or that's why this was so smart, but... Sure. Um, I mean, I think it was more singers I was listening to. So in that case, it was Whitney and it was uh, Michael Jackson. Yes. Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin would probably, and Barbara would be the earliest, and Frank Sinatra would be the earliest singing influences.
0: Fantastic. What did your parents teach you about work ethic?
1: Ugh. Work hard and work often. I, I think <laughs> that um, both of them were insanely hard workers and, um, uh, carried an insanely full load and both, you know, there was no quitting. There was no, um, there was always honoring the commitment you made. And, uh, if any communication around any alteration in that commitment needed to be had, it was me who had to do it. They were never going to speak for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I always had to handle the, my own choices that I made. And, um, yeah, they're both insanely hard workers still to this day. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. Now you just brought up a good point that, you know, they would never speak for you. You would, you had to cover it for yourself. Do you have an example from the early time professionally? Does anything come to mind with like a a job or gig or something?
1: Formative. This was like a huge lesson. I had auditioned for a community theater production of Into the Woods and was cast as Little Red. And then I also simultaneously had tried out for my school's dance team which was something I'd wanted to do, you know, uh, through junior high, going to the football games and seeing this drill team do their thing at halftime. I'm like, I'm going to be a rhythm B someday. And then getting to school and realizing like they're so revered. And I was like, I got to be on the drill team, crying out, got on the drill team and everything conflicted. There was no way to do both. There was just no way, even though I was already a workhorse and ready to like never sleep to just make sure there was no way I could do both. And I remember just being like, and I give myself credit for being quite wise at that age, but I remember having to sort through it myself. Like my mom Mm -hmm. being like, listen, you have to make this decision. I will not, I'll I'll listen and we can talk it through, but like you are the one who has to make this call for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, just somewhere inside of me knowing I have the rest of my life to do this one thing. I only get high school for three years. So I think I'm going to choose high school. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to do Rhythm Bees, so you can tell Stan that like, I'm not going to do Into the Woods. And she was like, who can tell Stan? You can pick up the phone. And I was too scared to call him. So I wrote him a letter by hand and I sent it in the mail. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, this was such an honor. And I'm grateful that you, you know, were willing to, to give me this Hmm. opportunity, but I'm, I'm also, you know, so that was, that was the one that I remember being like, you have to, you know, you're going to have to make hard decisions in life and you're going to have to be able to have the the bravery and the courage to step up and and say what needs to be said.
0: Uh, yeah, it grows you up real quick. <laughs> I got a, a mm-hmm. same, same question. What did your parents teach you but about kindness? kindness?
1: I think both of my parents were always especially growing up. Cause I had a little bit of uh, a chip on my shoulder growing up. I was angry at the divorce and like how that all went down. So I, I went from being like, I think a wonderfully alive, vivacious, energetic child to a, a very angry kid. Yeah. Um, not angry in the sense of like, I was the kid at school turning the desks over, but like um, certainly more protected, I would say. And, and um, I, I'm sure that people who met me early in my life and career would have said like, she's tough. Like she's, not a friendly girl um but it was just fear you know what i mean just just we do what we think works to protect ourselves um and uh but both of my parents are incredibly kind my mom is one of the friendliest loveliest warmest people you'll ever meet um but i think i rejected that i didn't like that that she was known for being nice i didn't like that Hmm. um and then my dad, he owned a business in the heart of downtown Olympia, Washington that was in the family for like a hundred years. So he was sort of like, you know, everyone knew him. and I just remember watching him and the way he would talk with people and the way he would know everyone and be friendly with them and how that would carry over to like when we would go get coffee or eat. like he just both of them were very friendly, very warm, personable, easy, charming people. And so I see that ability in myself now. Um, but, um, but it took me a while to, to, to get there easily before I know people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it wasn't ever necessarily a conversation about like, be kind, but I think I just learned by watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that they will say to you now, if you were to have them on here and ask them, like aren't you so proud of her accomplishments? And they'd be like, yeah, but like, it's really the person she is that we're proud of. So I I feel like I, I learned by watching them by the way that they would take care of other people and how they would interact with people in this sort of like very familiar, easy way. And um, yeah.
0: That you, thank you for being so open with that, with that question and answer, because I think you really touching on something that's huge for a child or a young adult who's coming up against, you know, a dislike of themselves or the people around them and to find self-love and to create that path. Is there anything that you would speak on that helped you kind of continually find yourself through those formative years or it just kind of was life?
1: Life happens. Life will happen. (laughs) And life will happen harder and harder if you don't learn the lessons. It will just keep pummeling you until you get it, right? Mm. So I think for me, you know, this past year has been a lot of that. A lot of these types of conversations, a lot of these really introspective questions, and a lot of space and time to reflect, you know? So I think for me, the constant, I I seem to, to attract into my life teachers and directors and I wouldn't call them mentors, but uh, the more uh, uh, almost abusive kind, right? Mm -hmm. Who want to break you in order to make you, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, in that breaking, I just got stronger and more determined to succeed and prove them wrong. Um, And I completely lost track of the question. What well, no, was the question? It was just, it was how, just yeah, how do you find yourself? Yeah, finding yourself in the formative years. Yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the 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 path to loving myself is still in process. It is still a jockey all day long of self-loathing, self-worth, self-love, like hmm. what that looks like and what that feels like and how that translates and in how you interact with the world and your profession and how you treat yourself and your body right. and what you will accept and what you will not accept in your life as by, the by, you know, whether it's an offer for a gig, you're coming in lower than you would, or if it's the way someone treats you, like it's all a reflection I've learned of how you view yourself and how you view your own worth. And, um, but back then, I mean, I, I just think I thought if I can succeed and prove them wrong, then I'll be worthy. And I think that as long as you, as long as you need the circumstances and the people to reflect your worth, you're screwed. Yeah, it's never going to fill that hole from outside. It has to be just a. It's just a knowing that, like by some, by the simple virtue of the fact that I'm here, to serve, you know, mm. uh, by the simple virtue of the fact that I exist and breathe in and out is proof that I am a worthy, extraordinary being. You know what I mean? It's it. Mm. And I, and for so many years, and even still now I catch myself like really needing the proof that I deserve to be here and take up space, really needing that to come from without as opposed to within. So it's a constant journey and a constant, I don't want to call it a battle, but a constant learning and growing. But back then I think, to actually answer the question, I think that the defining of self came from wanting to be different than they wanted me to be. I kept wanting to, you know, I got to see, like in high school, uh, you want me to be this type of way? I'll play your game, I'll play your game, and you're still not going to give me the opportunities then I'm not going to participate. Like that was my big move in high school is I'm like, I'm not going to be in the show then. So mm-hmm. I, because again, I knew I was going to go on and do this. Some part of me knew. Yeah. Um, and then I got to college and I really thought I would have a leg up and be one of the greats in freshman year, but like everyone was amazing. Yeah. And I was really intimidated. So I thought, how can I make myself different to be special? Like, I think my instinct was always to lean in to what is different about you to be special as opposed to try to homogenize and be like everyone else. I don't know, I think it's being an only child um, is always led me to be like, I don't want to join them. I want to be, I want to march to my own beat. Um, So that's how I defined myself was there's something different going on over there. And so for me, it was leaning on all the soul music and, and pop music that I was raised on. All these kids, all they listened to was musical theater, you know, mm-hmm. um, they didn't know how to necessarily riff or like really have a pop sensibility. So for me, that was the beginning of like, I'm going to bring this thing from over here into the musical theater so that I can be different, so I can make myself different because I don't think I can compete if I try to be the same as everybody, if that makes sense. So it was yes. a competition
0: <laughs> for sure. No, I mean, it's so true. I mean, the second you, the second you're yourself, <laughs> so many things come because you're, you, you can't be replicated, you know, you are you, what works for you can't possibly work for someone else identically. Some parts of it may be, but Beautifully not all Beautifully said, there. yes. And, no, but I love, said. I love what you're saying here about this, the music, you know, and taking, finding yourself to be unique in the music sense, where did that decision come from? Just one day listening to music or just evolved?
1: Um, I think that as I was growing up, I was like doing theater because it was a means to an end. It was a means to being able to perform back then there weren't reality shows and there wasn't ways to like participate in the pop industry without a record deal. We couldn't just go to a studio and be like, "Lay, lay some demos down on my daughter. Like there wasn't really not that we knew, not in Portland, Oregon at that time anyway. So, I think theater was just a way for me to perform, but pop music, R&B, Whitney Houston, Michael, like all that stuff was like my heartbeat. And so it just was already in me. And I think it was just out of a need to be different and a need to compete. I was like, well, why don't I just bring this thing that I do anyway? And I've always kept them so separate. Mm. Why don't I bring it into the fold? And, And I think that that has been something I've maintained is like, you know, we aren't necessarily taught in musical theater to be musicians. We're taught to follow the ink on the page. We're not Mm -hmm. taught to breathe it and live it and swim in it, you know? And that's the gift of like listening to other music is like, but musicians play like this and musicians Mm -hmm. as singers sing like this. And then, you know, moving to LA and being surrounded by only musicians Mm -hmm. that brought a whole other language to my singing in musical theater. And when I coach kids in musical theater, I'm like, listen like a musician. Listen to why Jason Robert Brown's accompaniment changes. There is he's telling a story in the music too. Like we're not just talking about a lyric and the notes you're singing. Everything is informed. So yeah. I don't know. It just I think it's because I was raised around so many different styles of music. Mm. Um, yeah, that it's more. It's I realize that it's a the music is the conversation. It's not just the lyrics that are telling the story. You know.
0: I love that. That's such a great answer. I uh, are there any early teachers or directors that had standout pieces of advice. Does anything come to mind?
1: Uh, No like piece of advice, but I think it was my boys teacher whom I met uh, doing Sunday in the park with George. Mm who just, like, expanded what I thought my voice was capable of. I had already, you know, very much decided that I was a belter. And she was like, you're a soprano. And I said, you're insane. And sure enough, she trained me classically and was like, you are a coloratura soprano. So she expanded my world. And then she was the one who said, you know, you can go to musical the- to, to college for musical theater. You can major in musical theater. Pam Myers did it. And, of course, Pam was my freaking idol because of Sunday in the Park. So barbara just like opened the door uh my voice teacher she just was like there is more in you and there is more for you you can choose to to step in that direction but i just want to show you like what is available for you and so i would just say that her belief in me because there just really wasn't anyone else who like invested in me or believed in me like that my director in high school i think he was more interested in in breaking my confidence than than lifting me up, you know, and same with like, some of my dance teachers, I think they were more interested in me being broken to fit a mold than, than investing in what was unique about me. And Barbara just saw limitlessness for me. And um, I think you always need someone like that, who shows you that there's more as opposed to tries to like, you know, c- conform you to be what they think the world of musical theater or whatever it looks like i don't know sometimes i think people see too much of themselves in another person and they don't like it they don't like (laughs) that part of themselves or or they're mad sometimes i think these people get control of kingdoms these tiny kingdoms at schools especially or sometimes community theaters i think can be like this a little bit but like they get control of this tiny kingdom and they have all these unfulfilled dreams and desires within themselves and so they I, you know, subconsciously or against, you know, against their own better judgment, sometimes snuff out the fire that they see in other people because it triggers, like, their own regret that they didn't or couldn't for whatever reason. So, of course, I can look back now and see that, but then it was just like, why do they hate me? <laughs> you know, it's so damaging when you're just, like, growing, you know?
0: It is. Yeah, that's a good point. I've, I have thought back on early, you know, early times, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was not healthy. That right, was, but not-
1: sometimes... I'm sure as an adult, you can also look back and be like, and I'm glad it happened because I think part of the reason I'm here the per, as the person I am is because I, I pushed through and persevered through like challenges and pain and struggle. Like it just, I think it makes us, I'm glad that it gave me tough skin because it's not easy to live and work in this business. It's mm-hmm. not easy. And I think that if people don't have, that resilience and that ability to shore up their own confidence and get back up again you're gonna have a really hard time
0: how have you gotten better at dealing with or the conversation of with yourself of rejection
1: i have learned not to think of it as rejection because i've been on both sides of the table now so i know like me not giving you the job doesn't mean I'm rejecting you. And I think the other thing that we as performers do is like, if you reject me, you reject me, not my talent, but I am this body, I am this voice. You're rejecting me as a human, which is not the case. We have to separate what we do from who we are, which is very hard in this business because we wear the product, we are the product. So it's like, if we were shopping this freaking like water thing, if people rejected it we would feel some type of way but like it's separate from me right but this body and this what it is me so it's a really hard thing to separate but what I always like to say is like I don't use the word rejection I simply acknowledge like I'm not the right fit for this thing and this thing is not the right fit for me because I truly do believe like what's made for you and meant for you cannot miss you and what is not for you you cannot will into you know you can't force it into being yours. So um, I just think of it as like uh, either, how do I explain it? It's not, if if my desire is to go from point A to point B and, uh, you know, stopping at Waitress was not on the way to point B, then Waitress wouldn't have been for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it came out of nowhere it was. And so that was, I just have to trust that like there's a blueprint for me. And as long as I am d- being diligent about my work, both internal and like my skill, like staying on top of, of being, sh- having all my tools sharpened, then I have to trust that like, there's a lot that's out of our hands, you know? So I think that you have to trust like when it is what the majority of people call a rejection, when it doesn't go your way or you aren't the choice, that it has nothing to do with your skill level or, um, you know, it, it's not a personal rejection. It's just simply like, because I've been on the other side of the table and when I'm casting, I'm like, that person is absolutely a better actor, but this person looks more like how I envision this character to look mm. and we'll get him there somehow, you know, right. or we won't, but it's it's more important for whatever reason mm-hmm. that the energy, the vibe, even though this person is clearly a more skilled actor. So I think that it's um, it's just a reframing of like, and I also always love to use the example, like how many auditions do you think I've had in my life? And how many jobs have I had? I've had three Broadway shows right. and hundreds of auditions. So like the, 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 uh, what do you call it? Oh my God, I feel like my brain is dead. <laughs> um, the ratio is yeah. so, it's always gonna be off. So you can't look at the nose. And I just was on a podcast a second ago where I was saying the very same thing, forgive me. I just think it's such a great example. Bridgerton came out right in yeah. around Christmas time or before or whatever. And uh, at, um, I did as well as did most people fall madly in love with the kid who played uh, the Duke, right? Mm. Reggae, whatever. So I immediately go on Instagram and follow the guy. Cause I'm fascinated by his skill and his everything about him. And he's got like, I don't know at that time, probably 150 followers, 125, something like that. And within weeks i mean now we're in april four months later and he's got five million freaking followers so i'm like it takes a moment it takes the one thing so like all the no how many no's do you think that kid has had right. it took one yes for his entire world to change so i think it's important to like listen, I, I don't want people to turn into robots and machines and be like, we'll keep moving forward. Or, you know, like you have to take the hits and feel it and get down and, you know, lick your wounds. And it's just how quickly can you get back up and back on task, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's really powerful to, to take to reframe rejection as just like, wasn't for me, not the one for me, not, it'd be like, you know, how do people go on dating apps and go on a million dates? And it's like, not that one, not that one, not, you know,